Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. During July, we're giving away Smart Pots to listeners' audio questions. If we use it on the podcast, you're going to be getting a new six-foot-long Smart Pot raised bed fabric planter, just like y'all from the San Francisco Bay Area who is wondering why his passion fruit flowers fell off. We're going to take a deep dive into the world of passion fruit today. And the plant of the week is a tree with outstanding summertime blooms that can be grown throughout most of the United States. It's the golden rain tree. It's all on episode 119 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. As you know, when you call us with a garden question during the month of July here on the Garden Basics Podcast, you could win yourself a free Smart Pot, a six-foot-long raised bed fabric planter from Smart Pot. It's rectangular in shape, built-in partitions, 16 inches wide, 16 inches tall, and six feet long. It holds over 10 and a half cubic feet of soil. All you have to do is leave us an audio question. And if we use it on the air, you're going to win a smart pot this month. A couple of ways you can do that. You can call 916-292-8964. 916-292-8964. Leave us a voice message. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash garden basics and just Yell your question at your smartphone or your computer. That's speakpipe.com slash garden basics. So we're going to be giving away smart pots all July if you call in with a question and we use it on the air. And you could win yourself a smart pot just like Eyal from the San Francisco Bay Area who has a question about a tropical fruit. I planted a passion fruit in my yard in uh, late May. And at first, the passion fruit did great, and it sent out flowers, and some of the flowers even set fruit. And, but now, um, a few months later, it sent out a few more flowers, but they all fell off, and now they turned into fruit. Uh, I've been fertilizing the passion fruit with organic 555 fertilizer, and I've been watering it once or twice a week, and it's been growing great. I just wonder if I've done something wrong or if I'm expecting too much from this young of a passion fruit to set even more fruit than the original batch. Uh, I live in uh, USDA zone 9B and Sunset zone 16. Thank you. Love your show. Bye. The San Francisco Bay Area is divided into many different climate zones. If you ever have visited San Francisco or any of the coastal areas in Northern California during the summertime, you know how darn cold it can be. Well, where this person is in Sunset Zone 16, it's a little bit more inland. Not by much, but just a bit. It's a thermal belt area that Sunset Garden Book describes as one of Northern California's premier horticultural areas. So he's in the right area to be growing that passion fruit. What could cause passion fruit to not flower after it has produced? 
Well, let's ask somebody who knows something about passion fruit. Quentin Young, manager of a local nursery here in the Sacramento area, Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. Quentin, a, a little bit of uh, knowledge for us, please, about passion fruit. This really does take a very mild climate to grow in, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, and they do they do well here in the general kind of Bay Area, Sacramento Valley area. So they don't like uh, weather, I would think, that's either too cold or too hot. Exactly, yeah. So sometimes in the Central Valley, it can be a little bit hot when we start getting these 105 days. And then further north of here, especially in the foothills, you're probably going to be struggling trying to keep it looking good during the winter. Yeah, Bay Area people, though, they, they have a fairly mild climate. It very yeah. seldom gets above 90, it seldom drops below 40 in, in some parts of the Bay Area. But it's been kind of a weird summer so far. It's been very strange, yes. So what are some of the causes, you think, of those flowers falling from the passion fruit? Well, I, the first thing I would ask is um, watering. How is it getting irrigated and how often and how much? So if the plant is, let's say, drought stressed, it could drop its flowers like most flowering plants would. That would be one thing I would check. The second one, I would look to see if you have any pollinators uh, with the passion fruit. You want to make sure that the flower is getting really do well on attracting bees, specifically carpenter bees. Um, if you don't have any bees around, you might want to get out a little uh, paintbrush and pollinate the flowers yourself. Uh, third thing I would look at is um, fertilizing. You don't want to over fertilize because you're going to end up with a lot of leaves at the expense of flowers. So those would be the three main things I would look for. Now, I think one thing we don't know about this situation, is this plant in a container or is it in a ground? If it's in a container, if it's yeah. if it's in a container and with the heat waves that we've been having, uh, that could be the issue. Yeah. So we um, even our um, let's say our our canned vines right now, like on a day like today, we we're watering them twice, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. So give us uh, some uh, working knowledge about uh, passion fruit. Uh, how is it best consumed? Uh, you can eat it fresh, you know, slice it open. Usually you want to strain the pulp off the seeds. Um, you can definitely buy passion fruit pulp. You can buy passion fruit juice. But usually you scoop it out and you separate the, the pulp from the seed. And what does it taste like? Boy, it tastes like passion fruit. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> it just has like one of those great tropical flavors like pineapple or guava. You know, it's just it's hard to describe unless you've had it. But boy, it's really good. And what is the best way to grow it? Does it require a trellis? Yes, it's going to want a trellis. You want to give it at least six feet by six feet. You could get, even give it 10 by 10. Um, it does like to climb. It does love the heat. The warmer it gets, the better. So you do want to keep an eye on it when we start getting these um, days that are over 100 degrees. And don't over-fertilize them, like I said earlier. Um, you'll get lots of leafy growth at the expense of flowers. Full sun or part shade? I would do um, full sun. If you're going to do part shade, then try to get it in the, um, the morning shade and the afternoon sun, which is usually the best. For those of you that live in mild climates, Zone 9, Zone 10 might be worth a shot. Try a passion yes. fruit for yourself. Yes, they're a great, um, they're a great vine, um, beautiful flower um, that then will produce the fruit. But like I said, you're going to want to keep an eye out for either hummingbirds, carpenter bees, bees, because it will need to be, the flowers will need to be cross-pollinated. 
All right. Or put in some plants that will attract some uh, beneficial pollinators. And we'll have a link to uh, some of those plants to attract the pollinators in today's show notes. Quentin Young, Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. Thanks for uh, feeding us some passion fruit advice. Thanks for having me on, Fred. You've heard me talk about Smart Pots, the award-winning fabric planter here on the Garden Basics podcast. They're durable and reusable. I've been using mine for five years now, and once again, they're being pressed into service in my yard. I have this problem. I, I grow too many tomatoes for the amount of allotted sunny space I have for them. So those extra tomato plants go into the Smart Pots. I place them in scattered areas around the yard where I know they'll get enough sun, which is a premium in my yard. And even five years later, I can pick up those smart pots, plant and all, and move them around without fear of the smart pot tearing or ripping. Smart Pot's breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. And smart pots come in a wide variety of sizes and colors. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of SmartPots lightweight fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts where you can buy SmartPots at Amazon. Okay, now I understand maybe you want to see the SmartPots before you buy them. That's not a problem. SmartPots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit SmartPots.com slash Fred. Every week here on the Garden Basics Podcast, we like to talk with Warren Roberts. He is the Superintendent Emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden, and he always has a plant of the week for us. And today, it's a tree that puts on a summertime show. It's a tree you can grow in just about any place in the United States of America or other parts of the world, for that matter. And Warren, I know it as the Golden Rain Tree. What do you know it as? I know it as the Golden Rain Tree, and I also know it as... Coruteria paniculata. I'm glad you said it and not me. <laughs> oh, it's a, a rather small tree, typically, although it can get up, oh, 30, 40 feet in time, I think. Usually has a slightly p- picturesque trunk. This time of year, completely covered with big clusters of bright yellow flowers. And the petals uh, fall out of the tree kind of like rain. The, the common name golden rain tree actually is a pretty good one, I think. It has, uh, I'm trying to think it has any drawbacks. The, the only drawbacks I can think of is that the, the seeds do tend to germinate. It tends to naturalize and be, can become a little bit weedy, but I think pretty easy to control. I don't think you would use it as a shade tree because it, it, it casts very light shade. Well, it, it does cast light shade, but I think it, it casts better shade than, let's say, a Palo Verde or a uh, Chalopsis. Point taken. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, the shade is pretty good. It's been grown in California for a long time, originally from uh, China, I think. Uh, and the seeds look like, uh, they look like, almost like BBs. And they're hard like that, too. So it's not a terribly good idea to plant one over a, a smooth sidewalk because it can tend to propel you in directions you don't don't particularly want. In fact, one of the ways to remember the specific epithet is you you plant it today and it will panic you later. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> but, uh, but it's such a beautiful display of flowers. Then the pods, 
are a beautiful green kind of triangular, like little triangular balloons in big clusters. Eventually, those turn brown and they hang on the tree a long time, and that that annoys some people. But they they, they make a nice rattling sound in the wind. Yeah, they sort um, of look like Japanese lanterns. They do indeed. And I remember when I was a little kid seeing a, a, a book about flower arrangements. This is back in the mid forties, and there was a there was a picture using one of these as part of a flower arrangement. I was so intrigued; I've never forgotten that. I think I was four. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, we have them. Uh, they've been in the United States for a long time. I think it's a, a tree that it could be planted a lot more, and especially it gives this wonderful show of bright yellow flowers in, at this time of year. There are some other species, but they tend to be more tender. There's one called Colruteria bipinnata. The Chinese uh, flame tree is is the common name of it. It has kind of salmon-colored pods. It's not my favorite of the three. I, I, I like it the least, although it, it can become a magnificent tree. Every seed seems to germinate. The other one, Colruteria elegans, the Formosa flame tree, or sometimes called flamegold, has actually become a weed in the southeastern U.S. Mm. But it is so. It's one of my favorite trees. It's so beautiful. It's from the mountains of Taiwan. It blooms late in the summer with yellow flowers and then has red pods, like big clusters of triangular balloons that last until frost. Although I think that of, of the three, the one that, that has the widest practical use would be Coroteria paniculata, the golden rain tree. I mentioned uh, the common name, there are some tropical trees in the genus Senna, S-E-N-N-A, or Cassia, C-A-S-S-I-A, uh, which are sometimes called golden rain tree, too. But it's a different family and definitely tropical. The golden rain tree gets about 20 to 35 feet tall with about a 25 to 40 foot spread. Good size for a small yard. And, of course, the, the show of the yellow flowers it's an underappreciated tree. There's no doubt about it. The golden rain tree, Colorateria paniculata. And it's deciduous. That is a winter deciduous, so it lets in the winter sun. There you go. Golden rain tree, check it out. Orrin Roberts is the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. Check out the Arboretum online at arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren, thanks for another great plant of the week. You're welcome, Fred. you have a small yard and you think you don't have the room for fruit trees, well, maybe you better think again, because Dave Wilson Nursery wants to show you how to grow great-tasting fruits, peaches, apples, pluots, and a lot more in small areas. You could even grow them in containers on patios as well. It's called Backyard Orchard Culture, and you can get step-by-step -step information via the fruit tube videos at DaveWilson.com. And that's where you're going to find the closest nursery to you that carries Dave Wilson's quality fruit trees. So start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. We bring in Debbie Flower, our favorite retired college horticultural professor, to show us the light. Lead us through the morass that we call the world of plants. It can be confusing. Wow. Big responsibility you're laying on me there, Fred. <laughs> That's okay. I know you can handle it. <laughs> from Northeastern Ohio, we get an email from Kirk who writes in, who says, Hello, Fred and Debbie. Greetings from a longtime podcast listener in Ohio, USDA Hardiness Zone 6A. 
Thank you for that, Kirk. He says, I'm seeking your guidance regarding some plants that I germinated in the spring and wintered over in six-inch pots buried in my garden. Just as they were breaking dormancy a few months ago, some unidentified vermin bit the main six-inch tall stalks down to ground level. I had hoped that new foliage would have flushed out by now, as what's left of the stems remains supple and green when I scratch them with my nail. They're getting plenty of sun and moisture, but no signs of new growth. I'm thinking of jump-starting the leafing by feeding the roots with some nitrogen fertilizer. Please let me know what you think. I fear these plants will languish until they finally give up the ghost. These saplings are western soapberry trees and desert willow plants. I will remind you, Kirk is in northeastern Ohio. Mm -hmm. I've become very adept, Kirk says, over the years at collecting seeds during my travels around the country and stratifying and scarifying them when necessary prior to germination. Stratifying usually means giving them some... A fake winter. Fake winter, yes. Sticking them in the refrigerator. He might just leave them outdoors, but yeah. Yeah, and scarifying could be anything from sandpaper to soaking them in water. Right, it's scarring the seed coat to allow water into it so it, it starts with those words those letters s-c-a-r mm -hmm. so he is not an amateur at this no he must do his research it sounds like a very interesting piece of property and i can totally relate to collecting seeds in yes. parking lots in strange places and bringing them home and trying to grow them because so, that's the fun of a kudos yes yeah. kudos to you kirk right he says my property is quickly becoming a diverse arboretum of trees and plants from all of the lower 48 states and some Canadian provinces. I'll continue listening to your show for your suggestions. Well, uh, where do you want to start with this? First of all, uh, I, I would say give it time for one thing, because a lot of plants, uh, after a hard freeze, uh, we might be tempted to take it out or pull or trim off dead foliage or dead branches, thinking they're dead, when in reality... Uh, as Kirk found out by a scraping test of the right. bark, that oh, it's still green. I'll leave it there. A lot of people make the mistake of pulling them too early when sometimes it could be May or June before they break bud. Right. I assume they're still in six-inch pots. It was a clever uh, technique to bury them during the winter. Uh, they And both of those plants are hardy to Zone 6. So they are able to take the chill that Zone 6 would provide. An exposed six-inch pot in zone six would get much colder than a buried one and an ex a plant in an exposed six inch pot outdoors in six a in the winter would probably not have survived so kudos to kirk for 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 burying them a young plant that loses its top can be vulnerable to death uh if it's going if a plant is going to regrow a plant loses its top to the vermin and is going to regrow it needs to have either a bud below the part that was taken away, so a, a bud on the stem that's still there, or enough food stored in the, the roots of that plant that it can produce what are called epicormic shoots. Ooh. Yeah, epicormic shoots are shoots that uh, arise from places that the, were not previously planned. Plants are actually very well organized, and uh, they actually have a number, a fraction. If you look, start at the top of the stem and go around the stem and down the stem, it's the number of times you go around a stem till you come to a leaf that's just below the leaf where you started. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> I didn't follow okay. that. Plants are very organized. They're, when, they're, when they grow naturally, they produce buds at predetermined places. 
so they'll have an alternate arrangement, meaning one leaf at a plate on the stem at a location and one leaf further up. Or they'll have opposite. So they'll have two leaves at the same location. Sometimes they're whirled, which means three or more at the same location. Mm -hmm. So that kind of organization exists in the DNA of the plant. If for some reason it, it loses the predetermined buds, then buds have to arise randomly. And that's what an epicormic bud or an epicormic shoot is. It arises randomly. The plant has to mobilize chemicals and and nutri nutrients and such to create the bud and then uh, cause it to open and grow. And I fear that because the plants Kirk uh, has are so young that they don't have enough food stored in the roots mm -hmm. to allow the plant to produce epicormic shoots. And so the what's left is a possibility is that there's a bud and you don't always see them. They can be under the outside of the stem in a place where we can't see them. Uh, but there could be a bud there. And he asks about potentially fertilizing them with nitrogen. And I would say, give it a try. Just don't make the nitrogen too strong. Yeah. He talked about feeding the roots with nitrogen. Uh, you, right. You would, if you want more root growth, you would feed them phosphorus and potassium. Well, yeah. Uh, but if there's a bud above ground, that's, not able at this moment to grow, the nitrogen might be helpful. Yeah, so a, a balanced it. fertilizer, yeah, but a, at a, at quarter strength maximum. Yeah, I would my think. fear is when he talks about adding nitrogen, he's going to go throw some sulfate of ammonia on it. Right, which would just burn it. Yeah, right. So yeah, something low dosage, definitely a, a something with nitrogen in a single digit. Yes, the, like a like a sea uh, fish emulsion. Fish emulsion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Something like that, that which is a, a 5-1-1 or a 5-2-2, referring to the content of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. But again, you know, give it time, too. Yes, and give it time. It, as the weather warms. And that's the other thing, too, is soil temperature. Uh, I have a desert willow, and I have to say, I look at it every year and wonder, did something go wrong? Did it, did it die? Because it's very slow to come out in spring. Hmm, okay, well, there. That Kirk, there you go. That's your answer. Be patient. <laughs> Be patient. Yeah. Yes, but and the fertilizer can't hurt, especially in a fur plant in a container, and if it's weak. Congratulations on all your travels, Kirk, and uh, assimilating a, an arboretum in northeastern Ohio. Very cool. Yeah, very good, Kirk. Debbie Flower, thanks for helping us out here. Uh, you're welcome, Fred. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.